What a great truth to sing and remind one another of, as I know there are many here, if not every one of us can speak about how just the very breath in our lungs comes from God and how, especially through the continuation of whatever this virus is or is not, we've been reminded of how just every waking breath we have been granted by the grace of God our Father. Amen? Lamentations, I couldn't help just be drawn to this as we were singing and reminding one another of God's truth and His his love, Lamentations 3, 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And we come this morning, the, the typical thing we do at this time, right, is we'd walk through verse by verse through a book of the Bible because we are committed to being biblically based. We recognize all 66 books are words for transformation of life and hope beyond anything this world can provide. But where we find ourselves right now in our sermon series in the book of Mark is we have four Sundays remaining, and I'm trying to push it out, make it last as long as possible. No, that's not it. Though y'all have been so faithful and walking through it verse by verse, we've been in it for a while. But really the bigger burden, the, the sincerity of my heart in this moment is that we have four Sundays remaining and we're coming to the place of Mark 15 and 16 where God himself went to a cross hanging as a curse for all humanity. And I know you've heard that before. In fact, I'd be willing to bet every single person in our building today has heard that message to some extent before. You have some type of awareness regarding it, some more intimate and familiar than others, Nonetheless, some awareness. But the reality as well, the check in my spirit, and I'm convinced, I'm certain the check should be in yours as well, is that sometimes we're too familiar with it. Sometimes we, in our hearts, whether consciously or not in our minds, say, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I know of that. Yeah, I've already got personal relationship with God the Father through the resurrected Jesus, my Savior, and the indwelling spirit inside of me. But as we come to this juncture this Sunday morning with four remaining sermons in this book, this series of the Gospel of Mark, we really come to a time where words can never be adequate to articulate that actual reality that God the Son carried out and experienced for every one of us. Just as the Bible is filled with understatement after understatement, I realize this is an understatement. In no, in no way am I overstating truth here. But the 24 hours that we see toward the end of Mark 14 and Mark 15 truly were the most excruciating of experiences that any human being has ever and will ever experience on planet Earth. And it was a human being who was fully man while simultaneously fully God. And it was a human being who was fully man and fully God who did not deserve that excruciating experience. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. That experience of being betrayed by closest of friends, by being tortured and humiliated, by, by being whipped on the back with, with a tool specifically designed to rip the living flesh from bones— and that experience of going to a cross, 
That was the wage that our sin had earned and deserved. But the Lion of Judah, Jesus, who came first to do the work of a lamb, the Lamb of God, pure and spotless, he took our place. And so as your pastor, but even more than that, as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a follower of Jesus who is alongside you in pursuing Jesus, how tragic would it be if we gathered at this point and just flippantly went through the final two chapters of this series without taking a moment to give the grace of God an opportunity just to, to cause us to, to stand in awe of the reality of what God did on the cross for you. He went to the cross for you. You in the back, you over here. He went to the cross for every one of you. He went to the cross because of me. That according to his original design, we might have a connection in personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why everything we're about here at Katie's First is helping people connect to Jesus and out of that then connect to one another. Authentic, biblical community. And so I want to do here, we've got some verses that are going to go on the screen, but I want to read over these different verses that are all throughout Scripture from cover to cover. And I want to read them in a way that reminds you of all that God truly did on our behalves and then out of this reminder, um, perhaps it would renew your commitment in remembering what he did and seeing all he deserves and desires to be in your life. So I'm starting here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We have God's word where the first two chapters, things look pretty good. Things looked according to design, but only two chapters out of the gates, humanity completely fails. But as soon as humanity fails, the greatness of God's loving kindness comes in and he says, my mercy is never failing. Great is my faithfulness. I have a plan to make a way back to me. And there in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we have the first ever prophecy of Jesus Christ. God said to Adam and Eve, as well as Satan who was present, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There, Genesis 3.15, where sinful nature had entered into humanity for the very first time. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, but God said, I'm not leaving you without a plan of restoration and redemption and reconciliation. The seed of a woman who we know now to be Jesus. Though the seed of the woman will be bruised on the heel by Satan, which we know on the cross, that's what happened. The seed of the woman will crush a fatal blow to the head of Satan. Ultimately, once for all, defeating death for you and for me. We go through scripture, we go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, and I don't have these saved in my Bible, so I'm flipping there with you. Because a pause is good as we remember, and as we reflect on all God did on our behalf. Psalm 22. Verses 7 and 8 say this about our Savior who is to come. All who see me mock me. 
They make mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. And this is what they did when they arrested Jesus. They said, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver himself. Let him rescue himself, for he delights in him. Remember, they arrested him. They blindfolded him, and they said, prophesy, Messiah, who just struck you on the head? Messiah, if your hope's in him, if you truly are the king of the Jews, why don't you just call for your father to deliver you since you trust in him? Looking at verse 13 of Psalm 22. They open wide their mouths at me. The me being this prophecy about Jesus. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and a roaring lion. And here's what it says about Jesus. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Here's a psalm written likely around 900 BC, centuries before crucifixion was ever invented. Here is the prophecy of precisely how God the Son, the Lamb of God, would go to his death carrying the weight of what our sins have earned. Psalm 109, verses 2 to 5, continue. Speaking about all our Savior would do and what we know now he has done. Two to five, say this. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me. This is Jesus, prophetic about Jesus, speaking about what he would be experiencing. Open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate. They attack me without cause. They attack Jesus based on the cause of our sin, not his own. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good. They reward me hatred for my love. And go into the major prophet Isaiah chapter 50. These are the final two chapters we'll look at in our time of remembrance and reflection. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, and I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 53. This is where we'll spend the remainder of our time as we remember and we reflect on all God did for us and all he desires to be in our lives as a result of what he accomplished for you and for me. And so I want to read all 12 verses here. So if you follow along, kiddos, you're doing great in here. Maybe you want to write a little word about something you hear about God or draw a picture. Adults, if you want to do that too, that honors the Lord as well and helps you in your pursuit of him. Here's what Isaiah 53 says about that suffering servant. Who has believed what he's heard from us? 
To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And here's the prophecy about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. On earth he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane that the Roman soldiers needed Judas to identify him because Jesus just looked like a, a commoner. He had no special physical features above the rest. No beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. He, we esteemed him not, and he was despised. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, fully God, fully man, God the Son, perfect lamb of God was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned away every one of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent so Jesus Christ opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away as for his generation who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence although there was no deceit in his mouth and remember the truth of what happened on the darkest of days, on the darkest of moments in all of history, if there ever was a period of history where it looked like darkness and evil was in control, it reminds us of God's sovereignty out of his relentless pursuit of his love for you and for me. It says here, all of this that Jesus took on himself, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him because he loves you and he loves me. He has put Jesus, his own son, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalves that as a result, you and I, should we profess faith on Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it says, that God would make many to be accounted righteous because he bore our iniquities. In the final verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And because he was numbered with the transgressors, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He bore our grief. He, grew up, he bore our sorrow. He took everything our sin has deserved. He carried it to the cross as a once 
for all perfect sacrifice. A man in history truly did this. The records and the evidence is overwhelming, more convincing than any history textbook we approve of in our public schools, in our homeschools. And he truly was buried, and he truly, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead on the third day. And if you're here this morning, and you've heard that story, and you've been reminded, and you've reflected on the great links and the good links that God has gone to on your behalf, and and you've never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, the reminder for you this morning is that the penalty of your sin and your guilt has been paid in full, but you've yet to receive that gift of full redemptive payment. And in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. I'm going to stand down here. And, and for you, if you've never made profession of faith on that payment made for you, as others are coming to get the elements, God has you here to walk here and have a conversation with me. That I might pray with you, that I might show you how simple and sincere a profession can be to find right standing before God, your maker. For you who are with us today, who are believers, I have no care what official denomination you are because this book has no regard of that. When it comes to the table of communion and grace, what this book and my commitment and our commitment to being biblically based informs us toward is that if you're with us today and you believe that you have a right standing with God, you have a relationship with God based on faith in Jesus who lived, died, and raised from the dead, that means you're a brother and sister in the kingdom of God and you are invited to participate of the elements today. It's sour grape juice. It's a stale wafer. But it reminds us of all our Savior did on our behalf. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. During this song, what's going to happen is you're going to walk forward, those who are professed believers, and you're going to come take an element and take it back to your chair, and we're going to continue singing, and we'll all take it together in just a moment. I know we have five-year-olds and up in service every Sunday. If they've made professions of faith, great. Walk them through how to take it and do it respectfully. But you also have other kiddos in here, and we have other adults who, who have not made a sincere profession of faith. This is not for you today. It's not for you in a way to embarrass you or to, to make you feel ostracized, but it's, it's only for those who have professed faith on Jesus. So if you have a child with you today or maybe a friend with you who have never had a profession of faith, allow them to walk with you. Allow them to see what's taking place. Because God has them here perhaps to make a profession of faith for the first time in their lives and find a peace that only the bearing of our sins at Calvary could accomplish for you.